still don't quite know, but Novak Djokovic has probably given the biggest indication yet that he might be heading down to Australia this summer. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me to do all of it again tonight in our final show for 2021 is the one, the only, Joel Frucci. How are you, Joel? Oh, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for that introduction. And um, just checking the calendar. How the hell is it December? How did we get here? Um, I'm not sure. This year's kind of been a blur the last two years, really. But let's not talk about the depressing stuff because there has been... Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been... Uh, well, look, I'm just glad the year's over, to be honest. Um, that, that That's the happy part, that we are in December and that 2022 is almost upon us and we can be rid of another another crappy year so that, that's the exciting part and that's what i'm that's what i'm looking forward to mainly and because we're only three weeks away or three and a half weeks from the summer of tennis commencing and the atp cup draw and the groups were announced today and the biggest indication that novak djokovic will play this summer is that he has been listed as the um and the as a committed player for serbia and they are they of course have qualified because he is the world number one so I don't know whether that means he's had the vaccination or not. He will have to quarantine if he hasn't. Um, and I, I'm not sure he will. I, I really don't know what's going to happen because we have banned any unvaccinated players from playing the Australian Open. So obviously the vaccination must be there. He's indicated to these people that he will be getting it. So I reckon that probably is case in point to that, don't you think? Well, I guess you have to say it must be. Because mm. it's well, it's a it's a no jab no play event, so he must be getting vaccinated. I'll just I'll throw this up just because just because I, it really sort of piqued my interest. But uh, so there's a, a tweet that Ben Rothenberg has just put out about this, and he said, um, alternatively, uh, Djokovic could simply be entering the ATP Cup to guarantee a spot for Serbia, since a nation quali- qualifies for the competition solely based on the top players' ranking and wouldn't qualify without his signing up. Serbia could still compete after a Djokovic withdrawal. That's a valid point. I was um, thinking that as well, that maybe that yeah. might be a reason why. But Dusan Lajevic is, where's he ranked now? So if we check, so he's ranked 33rd in the world. And if you look at the top player from every nation that's on here, he is below them all. And Australia gets a wild card in because of Alex Demon or was ranking. Obviously, we are the host country. If we're not there, then there's a bit of a problem. But, um, yeah, so that's where... So, yeah, he could definitely get Serbia in. And that might be... Yeah, I, I'm not sure. That, that's a very good point from Ben Rothenberg. I did think of it, but I wasn't sure. I thought, well, would he really do that? But then, of course, we, we've seen what Novak do, has done in the past. And, yeah, that probably does fit the bill, I guess, to exclude another nation from the ATP Cup to get his own in. Yeah, look, I hope he is coming down and genuinely is getting vaccinated because I think just overall it'd be good for tennis. I think, no doubt. I mean, we all we we all always talk about how we sort of want to see, um, you know, different winners and and how that'd be great for the sport. And you can look at it. If Novak wasn't coming, then that would be easier to achieve because you know he's by far and away the best player on the planet at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I guess you look at the flip side, there's his- there's some real history to be made with with Novak. And when you talk about wanting to present the best quality products to your audience, particularly off the back of of last Australian Open, which was obviously COVID affected, it just it just didn't have the same vibes. There wasn't the same happy slam feel. You and I saw it, Val. It was all 
sort of blocked off and, and zoned off and it just didn't feel right. Now that that's all gone and we're kind of going back to what we know as the happy Australian yeah. Open pre-COVID, you you want the best players there. And Novak Djokovic being world number one, um, I, th- I think no question you want him there. You want him competing um, in this in this, uh, this event that, you know, Wimbledon's had it, the US Open has had it, to say, yeah, look, you know, the, the Australian Open's back and the king of Melbourne Park is is there with it too. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I just don't get why, and we've said this so many times, Joel, why is it such a damn secret? I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I still I still just can't fathom whenever people sort of talk about the vaccination being a private matter. It is absolutely not a private mm. matter. The whole reason you get vaccinated is to protect the public. Not yourself. It's not a private it's, issue yeah. at all. <laughs> exactly. It's just, it's a load of crap. And we will get to Mr. Serdjan Djokovic later because we know <laughs> my thoughts on him. Yes. And... He's going to feature heavily in our in our final segment of the, of the year, and um, I'm very excited to to tee off a little bit because he's just a moron, an absolute moron. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. But it is an exciting draw: Serbia, Norway, Chile, and Spain make up Group One. And I was really hoping that Rafa might be a part of that, but no, he's not a um, he's not a committed player as of yet. Now this group is, I'm look. I'm quite devastated, Joel. I, I'm not going to lie. This this has hurt me physically and emotionally. Um, and I'm not sure if he is confirmed. He is confirmed. So Australia has the possibility, and they will face Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Aslan Karatsev, Matteo Berrettini, Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Sonigo, Fabio Fonini, Dominic Team, and Dennis Novak. How the hell are we going to get out of that group? <laughs> well, the way it's set up, I don't think even um, look even Team Italy. I, I think I don't think Italy are, are as strong as the Russians. I think well, it there's was no the, question that was the ATP Cup final this year, Joel. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's no question. We, we you you just have to look as far as the Davis Cup. That yeah, there's no question that that Russia are the strongest <laughs> the strongest team in uh, in men's tennis at the moment. The just the depth that they have is just. Insane. Strongest I mean, team, team in tennis, Joel. Women, they've won the Billie Jean King Cup finals. They won the Davis mm. Cup finals. They won the ATP Cup. They got numerous medals yeah. at the Olympics. Russia yeah. is tennis pinnacle nation nation right now. Yeah, they're on fire at the moment. They're on fire at the moment. They really are. And look, it's just to keep on the on the Russia um, on the Russia topic. It's it's good because I think there was there was probably a time earlier, maybe last last decade or sort of mid last decade in, in the in the 2010s where we were sort of thinking you know where's the next great russian at least male come from because the, the women have always been been quite strong mm. in russia but um you know after marit safin you know i was really thinking you know who's going to be the next one there was some um, davidenko for a little while but that kind of just fell away mikhail um, usually was around yeah, but I mean now, geez, just it's just ridiculous. The quality and the just the quality of the depth is is absolutely like it's it's a dream, really. Like you're talking about tennis strength, it doesn't get much better than that Russian team. No, it's it, it really doesn't. And and they won the ATP Cup, they won the Davis Cup finals, and now in three weeks the ATP Cup starts again. So you'd have to argue that they are the favourites to win it um, and go back absolutely. to back. So 
That's Group B. Uh, group C, Germany, Canada, Britain, and the USA. Even this group. Zverev is confirmed. Uh, Canada has Auger Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov confirmed. And then the USA, Taylor Fritz, John Isner, all confirmed. Rajiv Ram, very, very good doubles player. And Great yeah. Britain, Cam Norrie, Dan Evans, Joe Salisbury, Jamie Murray. That group, I have no idea who's going to progress out of that group because, yes, the Germans have Zverev, but they don't bat as deep as what Canada, Great Britain, and the USA do. So what happens there? Their doubles team, however, is very good, and they have made the Davis Cup semifinals without Zverev. So Kepfer and um, and Jan Leonard Struff were fantastic. Then Group D, you have Greece, Argentina, uh, Poland, and Georgia. This is probably the weakest group, I would yeah, say. I and you've got Tsitsipas, but then you've got Pevrolakis, who has played a couple of ATP Cups now. Petro Tsitsipas, um, and then Marcos Kalavin. Kal- Calavellonis, there we go, got it out. Um, and Aristoteles, Aristoteles Thanos. Now, that name kind of scares me because I'm very big on my Marvel movies, and Thanos is the main villain in the in the first <laughs> ten years of that whole uh, that whole cinematic universe. So, mm, not sure I want them to win because who knows what will happen if he clicks his fingers. Then uh, Argentina, Diego Schwartzman, Federico Delbonis, uh, Federico Coria, Maximo Gonzalez, and Andres Molteni. And then it was Georgia as well. So Nicol, big Nicolas. And then they don't really bat deep after that. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, and then Poland as well. They've got um, Hubert Herkash, Camille Marchuk. That's what I'm going with. Um, yes. Kasper Zuk. Most difficult name in the ATP. It actually is. It's really hard. We've looked this up and it's still hard to get to actually get out. But that's probably one that I have no idea who's going to get through. You'd probably say Argentina just because they bat deeper than the other teams. But with City Pass there, you, you just don't know. So that one is probably going to be the one that throws up. Maybe that different semifinalist one that we don't really expect to to um, to um to possibly go through. Even Georgia, who knows? Nick Basilishvili's had a great year. So that would be interesting in itself. But um, ATP Cup, very much looking forward to it. The 2020 version was phenomenal. 2021, maybe not so much because of the COVID ramifications around and, and the um, the protocols around the tournament, but very, very excited. And Joel, the Peng, the Peng Shui situation, it's, yes. it's just, it's very, very hard to get my head around what has actually happened. And, the updates with her interviewing the IOs or being interviewed by the IOC president. Oh, that was just, embarrassing. That was absolutely farcical. Now, did the Chinese government think that we're stupid? <laughs> that's a genuine no. That's a genuine question. Mm. No, look, I don't think I don't think it's as much a case of the international public being stupid. I think it's more just the way that they operate. That's. That, that kind of content was just them to a T. It's just yeah. straight up propaganda. And yeah, I mean, that, that, like that, that kind of suits, or really, that, that kind of aligns with what, what, the, uh, what the Chinese government downs, uh, sorry, what they, what they do down to the ground. So yep. look, I wasn't really surprised to see it. I guess I was just, I was quite, um, quite ashamed, I guess, on behalf of the IOC that they were so, so willingly taken part in in something yep. like that that it was so it was so blatantly um, scripted and it was such blatant pop, uh, propaganda 
um, that they were, you know, willing participants in that. And clearly it's because the, obviously the Winter Olympics is coming up in Beijing next year. So, I mean, the reason why is obvious, but just from, from, an, in, from an integrity point of view, it was just embarrassing, really. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, and the entire situation is embarrassing for China. And I am so proud of what the WTA have done. And Steve Simon yes. is what a wonderful chairman he is for the WTA. Yep. What a wonderful human being yeah. he is. That's because off. that's a lot of money that the WTA is foregoing now. But it's it's not as important as human rights because this is what it is. She's spoken out against illegal conduct, sexual assault against this, uh, against this member of the, the Chinese government, and she's gone missing. This is not right. And all tournaments in China are now um, will now be off the radar in 2022. The ATP has not really followed suit. It was a three-paragraph three paragraph oh, response, and pathetic. it was pretty pathetic. You're, you're right, Joel. Uh, there's no other word for it. And I'm 100% of the view that China needs to be off any tennis calendar for the foreseeable future. No challenger events, nothing. Everything needs to go away from China because it is not right what is happening. Absolutely not. And, yeah, again, as we've as we've already said, Bell, this is where you've really got to tip your hat to, to Steve Simon and, and the WTA because, uh, you know, in a situation like this when really essentially only I mean, one of your people is – embroiled in this thing is at the center of this thing um the, the wta could easily have you know gone down the money track which they they haven't done um you know probably you know i, I guess the atp sort of not doing anything you know none of the men are involved in this so that's probably why they potentially why they you know haven't taken strong action or really any action let's face it they haven't done anything but Peng Shui, it doesn't really matter whether she's part of the ATP or the WTA. She's in your tennis community. Exactly. Like, she's part of the ITF, often, Joel. Yes, exactly. And the ITF, well, don't even get me started on the ITF. Um, oh, just we, we keep talking about, about tennis's position in, the, in these important issues. And, yeah, I mean, tip your hat to Steve Simon and WTA, real meaningful action. Um, but the ATP, the ITF, you're falling behind. You gotta you gotta start showing some leadership here because you're getting absolutely exposed for just being absolute mercenaries, really. That's yep. that's really all you can say. Now this is someone's this is someone's livelihood, someone's safety. You know, we need to we need to get serious about this. Exactly right. And all the footage that's been released, everything that's been released has just been so fake and so scripted. Oh. So I hope Peng Shui is okay. I hope she is, and I wish her all the best, and I hope she can get out of this because it's not a situation that I would wish on anybody. And hopefully the ATP does see sense and, and takes away all tennis from China in 2022 because the Masters 1000 could easily go to Tokyo and all the other tournaments that they've got could go to could go to other Asian cities. That it, There's plenty it, of other cities that could host, that could host a, a 1000. Like you, you could name... You could name Probably five off the off the top of your head. You could go. I don't know. You could go Singapore, Tokyo, as as you said, Val. Tokyo's um, got the facility. That's why I've said there. They've already yeah. got a five hundred event. So maybe you give the five hundred event to to Seoul or or Pyeongchang yeah. or something like that, or, or somewhere in Korea. Yeah, I say I don't think it's gonna go. I don't think it's gonna go to Pyongyang anytime soon. I said but, Pyeong, uh, maybe, Pyeongchang. Uh, 
That's the oh, remember yeah. they had the winter the last <laughs> the last winter Olympics. Um, There's too many pions. Please eliminate three. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're trying, <laughs> I reckon. Um, yeah, they. Um, yeah, look, I. It's they, they have to. They they just simply have to. The fact that the Winter Olympics are there next year is an absolute joke. Mm. I just don't understand it. I don't understand yeah. it. But look, we're not politicians. We don't really know as much as what the people in power do. So we'll uh, we'll stick to talking about tennis. And we it's do have our. Hole, it? <laughs> it is. Oh, you can just go on and on for days and we're not here to do that. But yeah, hopefully the ATP and ITF do see some sort of sense. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. And it is time for our very special guest. I don't think we threw to her off the top of the show that we were going to chat to her, but it is a surprise. Alan Perez is joining us on the show and we can't <laughs> wait to chat to her. And our final guest of 2021 does join us, Joel. She's uh, the world number 42 in doubles. It's been a very prosperous year. She's uh, She did tell us off air that she holds the mantle for the Australian that spent the most time overseas in 2021 as a tennis player. Not that they could really come home with all the quarantine issues and everything, but she is back now. She was uh, one of the bridesmaids, I think, at the Dashing to Savile wedding, which looked like a grand occasion. Alan Perez, thank you for joining us on the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. That was great, a great entry for me. So yeah, happy to be here. Um, tell us about um, about being home and it was, what was it, eight months and a week you said? So um, tell us about what it was like actually touching down in Australia finally. And I don't think you had to do a quarantine, which would have been an even more, uh, even bigger bonus. Yeah, no, it was an unreal feeling finally being back. I think the last month of that tour was mentally and physically pretty draining. Um, I was I've obviously, I've got a boyfriend back home. So being away for eight months wasn't ideal with that situation. But yeah, to, to get home and to actually avoid the quarantine was maybe the biggest um, bonus of it all. Um, we obviously knew if we prolonged coming back, there was a chance that could happen. But, you know, there was no guarantees. And when I signed up to um, be a part of the Billie Jean King Cup team, there was still quarantine in place. So I just knew that that was kind of on the end of it. And to be able to avoid that after already doing two um, was, yeah, obviously really nice. I mean, though, the thing is a lot of my uh, Instagram followers and stuff, I think they're probably crying over it. Everyone loved to see me suffer in quarantine. Yeah, your uh, your Instagram content, Alan, in uh, quarantine was quite entertaining, actually, I, I must say. But um, and what, just on that note, what I'm really interested in is how in this time away, how do you sort of keep yourself mentally fresh? Because I can imagine the physical side is one thing, but how about, how about upstairs? Like, how do you keep on top of that? Yeah, I think that's something I've always been pretty good at. Um, I'm pretty social, social person. Um, I enjoy being on, you know, social media. I, I really took a taking to Twitter, getting involved with a lot of the Twitter fans and just, you know, um, there's always a tournament I go to and there's people I know. There was never a tournament where I felt like I was alone. Um, I think those weeks when you are kind of alone are the toughest weeks. Um, I also was traveling with a coach um, who I formed a really great friendship with. And and when things started to get, you know, longer on the tour, it was actually everything was starting to open on the tour. So these bubble situations started to um, not be a thing anymore. So that really helped. I think if we continued with only hotel to court for eight months, I, I probably would have been done well before that. But yeah, I think um, there's no secret to it. And I didn't do any meditation, didn't do all that reading and all that stuff. It's, that's not really me. But yeah, I mean, speaking to family and friends and just keeping in touch with everyone is probably what was key for me. And we've spoken to a few people on the show. They said the camaraderie between the Australians was really important to them. And how, how vital was that 
to you? Did you have a lot of Aussies at the same tournaments as you or did you have to sort of seek them out at times? Or how, how was that in terms of having that sort of the home feeling just with you a lot of the time? Yeah, I think it's super important. Um, I travelled a lot this year with Storm Sanders. Um, you know, that friendship, uh, we travelled a lot in previously during um, the pandemic and again this year. And I feel like every tournament, there's at least one Aussie I knew. Um, but yeah, like I felt like we brought each other a little bit closer. We, we've got that understanding that we always are away from home for so long. Um, but this year, obviously, even tougher. So I think there was times when, you know, we, if we saw an Aussie, we tried to hang out more and kind of understand where they were at and help them out. So it was nice. Yeah. And the the year as a whole on the tour, I guess, the, the highlight well, looking from the outside in looked like the Olympics. It would have been an unreal event to be at. I did see you at the opening ceremony. You looked pretty happy and um, that you were there. And, and you got to play with Sam Stozer as well, which would have been an unreal thrill. Yeah, the Olympics were definitely the highlight of my year and career. Um, didn't know what to expect going in. Obviously, with COVID, um, kind of expected it to be not as good as usual. But the the Japanese did an unreal job. You know, everything ran like clockwork there. They were super polite. Um, and after about a week, everyone started to, you know, realise the little tricks of the trade to get around, you know, seeing a few other sports and uh, mingling with other um, athletes and stuff. I think at the start, everyone was pretty tame and didn't really know where, you know, the boundary stood, but it got a little more uh, open and free towards the end of the games. But uh, yeah, probably missed that on uh, seeing a little bit of that as, you know, tennis was in the first week. Uh, but no, it's made me hungry to play um, another Olympics. And obviously playing along Sam was uh, an incredible experience. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure of playing with her a few times before that. And we, we didn't have any wins, but we would always lose so close. So we kind of went in with like that you know, third time lucky um, idea and we scraped through a few really close ones, but I thought we were playing some really good tennis. It was unfortunate we came across a red hot Swiss team and uh, I always, I mean, it's always what I say. It's probably my excuse, but I, I can't see at night. So <laughs> I want to blame it was a little bit of the night match situation, but no, I mean, I would love to see Sam be able to make it to um, that next Olympics in Paris, I think, but We'll see. Just to continue on uh, on the Olympics, Alan, obviously you've got that real sort of camaraderie in the in the village and going around to the different sports and sort of experiencing, um, you know, some other athletes' worlds. Like when you were there, did you sort of, um, I guess, did you have a lot of interaction with, you know, um, the other athletes from some of the other sports? And if you did, did you sort of pull anything out of some things that maybe they do in their preparation or anything like that, that you think you can kind of pull into, into your own world? Um, I got to know a lot of the Australian athletes. I mean, we had an Australian building and every day you'd walk in and you'd walk past someone and you'd just say, Hey, how you going? Like, how'd you go today? Or congrats. We're very aware of the results of all the Aussies. They'd post it along, you know, the boards that put up all the times of, you know, the certain um, meets and finals and, you know, relays and all this stuff like that. So Everyone was really on top of it. Um, it was really cool. We got to room with um, some boxers and uh, Taekwondo girls. So got to speak to them more and, and like understand a little bit more about their sport and um, what it takes. And, and that, was, that was really interesting. I think the one takeaway was how confident the boxers are. Um, I think if you're in a sport like that where you're, you're getting beat up, you've got to really believe that you're going you're gonna to win and do well. And um, yeah, that like never die attitude. So the way they went about it was really interesting. Um, so that's probably, yeah, my biggest takeaway. Yeah. And with, with mingling with the other athletes, like what, what sort of, 
when you talk to some of them, what else can you take? Like, do you take any sort of training methods from them or do you ask them any sort of advice in that sense? Or do they ask you? Like, what, what's the sort of dynamic there? To be fair, I didn't really get to have that deep of a conversation with any of the athletes. Um, I mean, I'm a, a little bit across the swimming just because uh, I have a lot of close friends on the U.S. swim team from being at um, University of Georgia. Um, and my actually my cousin was the uh, – she was part of the, she was the coach of the Australian um, track team. One of the girls that does, I think, the hurdles. So I was kind of speaking to her about the preparation they took and how they headed to Cairns and, um, uh, yeah, their lead up to the event. But, and it was interesting to a little bit to even hear how she prepared for her race. Just um, when they were doing some of their work, it was actually kind of totally, they were tapering for the, um, for their race. They weren't even working really that hard in the leading days. So like hearing certain stories like that was very interesting. Um, you wouldn't probably expect it or really know how that all goes down, but it's very methodical and very well thought out, obviously. But yeah, I would have loved to learn the stories and like training and diets and all these things that all these other uh, athletes went through, but probably wasn't, um, able to you know, get that done so much. That's all right. I guess you, you still made the Olympics and your national representation continued in 2021 to the Billie Jean King Cup finals, where the Australian team had an unreal tournament getting through to the semifinals. Talk us through playing through that and um, and getting through such... They were really tough groups, especially Belgium, and, and what Storm Sanders was able to do in that tie was just simply phenomenal. So talk us through the feeling of, of getting in deep to that tournament and, and re- making a big run as a team. Yeah, I thought we had an exceptional run. Um, everyone had their moments of brilliance and really stepping it up. Um, they actually made my job really easy. I think every time I came around to the doubles, I was playing for a dead rubber. So uh, it was less nerve-wracking for me and it was, it was great to sit by and really cheer on the girls. Um, it was, you know, I thought it was incredible to see Dasha not play a single match and come around and beat um, someone like Greek Minnan, who's had an incredible year, cracked into the top 80 or so, I want to say. Um, so it just shows Dash exactly where she is. And, you know, Isla was sick the day before, um, had food poisoning before um, and obviously wasn't able to play. Um, but then she comes back the next day after eating nothing and, you know, playing a three-set match and playing some unreal tennis. And then you've got Storm, who's just such a solid performer, getting wins against some quality opponents. And, you know, I think all of the girls on the team really thrive in that team environment. We get along so well. Um, they're some of my best friends. And, I think we had a great week. Everyone was striking the ball unreal. We're saying that in practice. We're like, we are loving the conditions here. Like everyone was feeling really good and positive. And I think that that showed that was kind of why we got such good results. Um, For me personally, I would have loved to have got a win. Um, Obviously it didn't really matter by the end of it. Um, We were able to get the job done because the girls played so well, but no, it's made me hungry to be back on that team um, and to get some wins for Australia. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, just generally, I think the Aussie girls overall um, have really had a, a great year. And like, just to throw up some names, obviously yourself, Alan, but also Isla, terrific um, storm as well. Um, like, I think she, fair to say that she really surprised Val and I with, with just how good she was. Don't forget the world number one as well, Joel. Oh yeah, and of course, Ash. Well, I think I think it's a great thing that we almost kind of, you know, don't even mention it because we just know that Ash is performing all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ash is sometimes overlooked, but she had an incredible year winning a slam, obviously, and um, especially in the way she did it, just like being injured the week before, not even sure if she was able to play and just winning that many matches in a row. <laughs> it was pretty cool. But yeah, it, it's great to see. I, I thought Storm was a long time coming. Um, I've been training with Storm, obviously, in these years, and 
um, knew that she had the the level. Um, it was probably a thing of just being able to back it up match after match um, because she was playing more doubles and singles. But as soon as she was able to get that, you know, fitness and um, tolerance, yeah, you just saw her take off. She's got that game, that that lefty game that likes to trouble a lot of varieties and um, not a lot of girls have seen her before. So they probably didn't know what to expect. But um, I think she'll be a solid performer and one that's, you know, definitely knocking on that top 100 door and cracking it this year, uh, this coming year. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just to mention Ash again, because I forgot her, I think I've got to shout her a beer next time. Uh, if I'm ever around her and if, well, she's engaged as well. So what yeah. a time to yeah. be Ash. Has been a massive season of engagements. Uh, and, yeah, you were at the uh, Dashing to Savile wedding. How was that, Ellen? Yeah, it was definitely one for the memory books. Um, it was really, it was a really good wedding. Um, we are at Dash's preparing from 9 a.m., so that was maybe a little aggressive. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was fun to see it all. Dash was, you know, in red-hot form making TikToks the whole morning um, <laughs> while getting ready and stuff like that. And it was a very nice chill vibe. And I thought we all looked really, really nice. And once we kind of got to the venue, it, it was pretty smooth, like the photos and we got through the reception and, you know, um, no real bumps in it. And then everyone was, yeah, pretty loose, um, I would say. No one was too crazy, but everyone was at that point where they could have a good laugh and dance and uh, just enjoy everyone's company. I think we're at that point in the year where we haven't had many chances to celebrate and um, get around a lot of people like that. So to finally have something and something, you know, so special, it was that that time you could really just say, all right, screw it. Let's have fun. <laughs> Can you reveal who was uh, who was best on? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I probably can because he, he's not—he's not really playing tennis these days. I don't know if you know Marvin Barker, but I've heard um, the name. He's, he used to play. He's from Queensland. He was an absolute animal at the party. Um, <laughs> at one point, he climbed the railings and he was on top shaking it. I think he—he he may have knocked down a camera at one point. Um, he was pretty loose. I mean, at some point, by the end of the night, all the guys had their shirts undone. You know, they were lifting up Dasher and Luke and carrying them around like you know kings and queens and stuff so no there's a good there's a good amount of uh um craziness that does sound oh. like a very very good wedding there's always one though there's always one that's shaking the rails and and causing some sort of damage but um alan back to the career and back to tennis what does the next month look like for you leading into the australian summer um yeah just training here until probably closer to christmas i will go home and spend that time with my family for a few days. And then I'm currently working with Mark Hilawati. So I've hired him and been doing now at least two or so weeks with him. And I'll train through till I'll play the Melbourne uh, 250,000. Um, and then likely obviously in qualifying at the moment. So unless I was to receive a wild card, I'd play qualifying and then um, AO main door doubles. Um, so that's kind of where my schedule is at, but things can change here and there, but yeah, definitely preparing on the idea of qualifying since everyone's had such a good year. Well, what we can do on Breakpoint, I don't know how much cachet we'll have, but we'll go. Um, we'll start a hashtag, Ellen for wildcard. It is going. <laughs> it is going to happen. We get our fa- we like look, we look after our favourites. So yeah, we'll we'll see how we go, and we'll tag Tennis Australia and Australian Open in all the tweets. We'll make sure people see them, and um, and yeah, we'll 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 do what we can. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure how we'll go, but we'll try. Um, just quickly before we do let you go, male or female, uh, or male and female, who were your most impressive players in 2021? Um, I think. You got to give it to Ash, finishing world number one, winning a slam. I mean, 
what she did overseas, she it was pretty incredible. I mean, she also won, you know, Miami and things like that. You, you kind of forget because it's just so casual for her. Um, but I think she's, you know, got to be the best year. I think in male, um, it was really cool to see Ducks have such a good year end. Yep. Um, yeah. I think someone like that, such a hard worker, nice guy. It was really great to see that. But I think also you got to can't forget Dylan. Dylan had a, a great year winning the Golden Slam, the um, Olympic gold, things like that. So they're probably the ones that come to mind. If I picked a second, would obviously be Storm. <laughs> I think yeah. Storm had a great year too. Really cool to see someone like her do so well after all the injuries she's had. Yeah, exactly. And well, exact same with Duck, um, with what he's been able to do th- this year, finishing in the top 50 quarters at a Masters and a um, couple of big, big wins over Yannick Sinner and co. And yeah, that, that was one of the best stories of the year for me. So um, very, very well done to all of them. And well done to you, Alan. A great season, uh, nearly at a career. Well, you did achieve your career high ranking at 42 in the world in doubles. You're nearly there, sitting at 43. That's going to skyrocket in 2022. We just know it. Hashtag Alan for wildcard at the Australian Open. Thank you very much for joining us on the show and good luck with the summer of tennis we'll speak very soon thanks guys and yeah let's get that hashtag going i'm all for it <laughs> alan perez there joining us on the show what a start she is she speaks so well and and it's such a pleasure to have her on the show because um she gives a great insight onto what the tour is actually like and cannot wait to see what 2022 holds for the uh for i think she's from sydney but lives in melbourne now so um yeah i We'll call her an honorary Victorian, I reckon. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully she does get that wild card for the Australian Open in 2022 because she is one of the better people in tennis. But, Joel, it is time for our – well, we always do this at the end of every year. We give like a uh, – and, you know, I am going to throw in because we didn't talk about this off air and we did it last year and I said – Surprises. De- Pardon? Surprises. I like it. Yeah, well, I hope you do. A prediction for 2022 at the end of this because we did this last year and I remember saying that Daniel Medvedev would get to world number one and he got so damn close and it didn't happen. So let's go. We'll do our well, our frustrating players, our most impressive players, and then after that we'll, I'll ask for a prediction for you or from you for 2022. So start with the WTA. Who was your most impressive player? It can be obvious. It can be anyone. Yeah. Uh, well, mine was, I think, pretty straightforward, actually. Maria Sakari, what a yeah. fantastic season she had. Into the top 10 now, a couple of uh, slam semifinals. She couldn't quite get the job done. Um, of course, uh, at the US Open, she ran into the Emma Raducanu steam train. Um, so it just didn't quite happen for her on the night. I remember watching that match and was actually quite surprised by how rather easily Emma actually won that match. I was expecting a lot more from from Maria, but I think the big thing for her is that she's kind of, I think she's kind of uh, straightened out the sort of little inconsistencies in her game where, you know, she can tend to, because she's obviously got a lot of power, we know that, and with a lot of power comes, uh, you know, a lot of risk and some low, low percentages. So I think she's kind of ironed some of those things out, and for me that's where the improvement has come, and, you know, she's 26 years old now. It's a really good age. And I think she'll really be coming into the best part of her career. So for me, with Maria, the only way is up in the next couple of years. Yep, I think so. And yeah, an amazing season from her. And as you said, two Grand Slam semifinals and just mm. absolutely brilliant. And mine... And, and just on that as well, as well, Val, if I can make one more point, how, how fantastic for, for great tennis to have 
um, uh, a female in the, in the uh, WTA top ten alongside uh, Stefanos in the in the men's. Yep, a hundred percent. And um, yeah, I, I think for for Greece, not, they they kind of grabbed onto that Marcos Bagdadis train. And even though he wasn't Greek, he's still Cypriot Greek, so they still loved him. But it, it, this is hitting a little bit different, I think, with the Greek community here in Melbourne because they are well, they're loving it, and the Greek tennis community they are absolutely loving what Tsitsipas and Sakari are producing. My most impressive player of the year, and look, honourable mentions to so many, especially Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez for what they did, and especially Raducanu. She was just phenomenal. But I think for the yeah. full body of work this season, Ons Jabeur, I think what she was able to do, uh, three finals, she won her first uh, WTA final at uh, in Birmingham on grass over Dara Kasekina, lost to Astra Sharma and Gabinye Muguruza in, uh, in respective finals, uh, in Charleston and in Chicago, but she became the first Arab to, uh, Arabic woman to get herself into the top 10 in the WTA rankings, a quarterfinal at the Canadian Open, semifinalist at, uh, at Indian Wells, quarterfinalist at Wimbledon. Um, she was just brilliant, and, and she's got such a good game to watch, and it, it is really, really awesome to see her in the top 10. She's one of the nicest characters on tour. She's great on social media, and she's just great value for tennis, and I think it's awesome to see because she does have that variety, um, and, and it's something different when you watch her. So um, hats off to her, and, yeah, the way that she's played has been absolutely phenomenal. So Anjabur is the um, is my most impressive WTA player of the year, the most frustrating WTA player of the year, Joel. Uh, another easy decision. It's got to be Alina Svitolina, I think. Mm-hmm. Just she just can't get it done. Like she gets so close so often, and she just cannot get the job done. And now she's fallen out of the the top ten for the the first time in um, forget exactly how many years, but it's been a, a fair while since she's been out of the top ten. I think she's dropped down to sixteenth in mm-hmm. in the world now. So. Look, not good for Alina, and um, you know the older that she gets, uh, the more that chance to win a slam fades away. She's she's still got a little bit of time on her side, but it's just ever so slowly. It's just it's just getting away from her, and um, yeah, I, I worry that she's running out of time. Yeah, I, I do too. I think she has possibly done her dash. I I don't know. I could be very very off, but. Yeah, it just doesn't seem as though it's it's going to happen for for Alina Svitolina. But who knows? We we have spoken about a few players that we never thought it would happen with, and and it has happened. Caroline Wozniacki, I think, is probably the shining light for every WTA player or any player in tennis history that Absolutely. we thought she was done, and then came out and won the Australian Open in 2018 and got herself back to world number one with that win. Yeah. So, just a reminder, I called that. <laughs> Never, ever, ever going to hear the end of that. I'm never going to hear the end of it. Um, Now, this one, I feel really bad for saying it because she didn't have a bad year, but she continues to frustrate me because I said it last year, I pretty much called it that she would never win a slam, ever. And that's Karolina Pliskova. Now, third round at the Australian Open, second round at the French Open. Then she makes the Wimbledon final and goes... And Ash Barty served for the match at 6-5 up in the second set. Pliskova breaks back can't uh, and wins the set, can't hold on, and then falls in the US Open quarterfinals when she was the highest-ranked seed left from memory. Then she made two uh, WTA 1000 finals in Italy and Canada and another semifinal in Cincinnati. 
didn't win a title. She's the world number four, didn't win a title this year. She's lost her last four WTA finals. The three finals she did make this year, she lost. I just don't know where... I don't know where this slam is going to come. And that's why it's so frustrating because she's got the game to do it. We know that. She's got the power. She's been to world number one. She's, you know, she's been to two major finals. So where where is this Grand Slam going to come? And I don't see it happening because on a hard court, there's players that are better. On a clay court, there's players that are better. On a grass court, probably maybe her best chance or the US, there's players that are better. So where is this going to come? She's 29 now. Time, I called it last year. I'm going to stick with it that I don't think she'll win one. But... She would believe that she can, obviously. You wouldn't be an athlete if you didn't believe that you could win one. But where does it come? I don't know. I'm sure she's asking the questions now. Where does that Grand Slam come? She's going to do what she can. But again, no idea. But that's why she's my most frustrating player of 2021. Joel, your prediction, 2022 for the women's. Four. Gee, this is, this is a tough one. I think... My my prediction for the women, and I'm going to be maybe a little negative here, but what I'm going to say is it's going to be like I'm going to compare this early stage rivalry between Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez to remember the old days of, uh, of Australian Idol where we would have the winner who would not necessarily achieve a whole lot and runner-up who would probably go on and, and achieve more. That's true because um, there's a lot of winners yeah. of Australian Idol that you do not remember, but Anthony Kalia was yeah. definitely second. Guy Sebastian has gone on and done very well, but yes, I do yeah. understand what you mean. Yeah, our international listeners at this point are probably yeah. like, you know, maybe turning off or being like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but anyway, I think it's going to be a bit like that. I think, I think that Emma is going to maybe have a little bit of a slower 2022 and maybe that's because she, I guess, overachieved in 2021 and nothing wrong with that, obviously. I mean, she won a, she's a grand slam winner. I mean, that's a, mm. you know, you, you dream of that. She's achieved that as, as a teenager. Um, but I just think, I just think I really like Layla Fernandez's game and that's not to say that I don't like Emma Raducanu's game. I just, I'm a huge fan of Layla Fernandez. I think she's going to have a fantastic season. That US Open and what she did, and the clutch tennis that she played, I'll never forget it. I will never, ever forget it because it was mm. just, it looked exhausting. And I was watching on the couch. I was exhausted. And she was just out there enjoying the ride and believed in herself. And I think that's something that that we can um, that we can really respect because when you have that belief that you can go out and beat a top player, I think that's absolutely everything. And she had that. So she, she played with that confidence and she succeeded. So well done. To Layla Fernandez, and hopefully she does have a big season next year. My prediction now, this is a little bit harder. I have no idea what is going to happen because it is such a hard book to read the WTA and you can't really predict predict the future. Um I reckon I don't want to sound too generic, but I reckon Ash Barty's gonna win two of the four majors. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Bring I, it on. I reckon I reckon Ash is gonna win two of the four. Hampered a bit by injury this year, so that kind of ruined things a little bit. But um, the way that she played throughout most of the year, she showed that she is by far the best player in the world by a long, 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 long way. And I reckon that's that's going to continue, and she'll maintain that throughout um throughout the season. So that's my prediction. The men's side of things now, Joel. 
your most impressive player? Cam Norrie. Straight then, up. He was <laughs> what a unreal what a season this guy had. I mean, he was the last person I expected to be sitting in the top fifteen, in the top dozen players in the world and to win Indian Wells and to make a cameo at the year end finals. I mean, who the hell saw any of that coming? I mean, from from Cam Norrie. Like, not to be disrespectful, but like when but before before the second half of the season, whenever I would watch a guy like Cam Norrie, I would just say, This is like the peak of just averageness of just getting by in tennis. Like, not saying that's no. <laughs> what I this mean. This is Adrian Manorino like, all over again. <laughs> no, not quite Manorino levels. But what I what I mean by that is he's just got a game that's just like really well rounded, but it's kind of not really enough to really do any sort of major damage. Mm. But I mean, he just came out of nowhere this year. <laughs> And it's great. What yep. a what a complete shock! Like to see him and and um and Big Nikolas in the final of Indian Wells was freaking awesome. It that was, was the most bizarre Masters one thousand final I will ever watch in my oh, life. Actually, so that strange. and also Jack Sock against against Philip Kranjevic in two thousand and seventeen in Paris. Those two, oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get any weirder than those two. But um, Norrie hadn't won a title in his career before the second half of this season. So that's even more impressive. The fact that he hadn't won a career title before 2021 and he's ended up, he managed to get into the year end finals. Just amazing, amazing season from him and the, and the way that he went about it. My most impressive Daniel Medvedev. I think the fact that he was able to crack through and the pressure was, was on him, especially after what happened in the Australian open final. I think losing Mm -hmm. that and getting dispatched by Novak Djokovic and then coming out, having a mediocre clay court season, um, constantly saying how much he hated clay and then ends up going to the <laughs> quarterfinals of the French Open somehow. And then all of a sudden... You better shut your fuck up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw Joel whispering. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Um, we need to make T-shirts of that quote because absolutely brilliant. And then Wimbledon, fourth round, loses to Hubert Hercash after being a set-up and then two sets to one-up. Would have stung him a little bit, especially considering Roger Federer was the one that was ailing and he would have played him in the sem- in the quarterfinals, so probably would have gone through to the semis. And then the US Open comes around. He wins in Canada, semis in Cincinnati, loses to Rublev. And that US Open, what an unreal performance, losing one set. And that one set was to Botic van der Zanschel, which just amazing story in itself. But Daniel Medvedev, I think to stop Novak from winning the calendar Grand Slam, but not only stopping him, destroying him in that final and not even looking like he was going to lose. That was the Daniel Medvedev that we know can play tennis. And that is the Daniel Medvedev that rightfully deserves a Grand Slam. And his personality is just brilliant. I love it when he's a smart ass to the crowd and they boo him because it's just it. Oh, it was brilliant. It happened again at the Davis Cup. The energy makes him win. And they still don't know it by now. He said, I thought after the US Open in 2019, you would have seen, but keep booing me because when you do, I'm going to win. And I love that about him. And because he does it with a, doesn't do it arrogantly. He does it in a smart ass way. And that's what I love about it. <laughs> It's, it's bizarre, yeah. but yeah, it, it, Daniel Medvedev, my most impressive player. It was very easy to go with Novak, but I thought let's go with something a little bit different. Novak, of course, three slams, just unreal season, tied Roger and Rafa on 20. 
Um, yeah, just an amazing year for him. Honourable mention. And as well to Aslan Karatsev. Big carrots as well. Big carrots, calves, the lion. Yes, There's a lot everything. of things you can call Aslan. A lot of things. Um, your most frustrating player, Joel? I think it's going to be FAA, Felix or Gerald Yassim. Now, um, obviously, he's still young, and it's pretty clear that Felix is, in, is improving, but he's already made eight finals in his career, and he's yet to win one still. Yet to win and a set. Win, yeah, well, exactly. That was going to be my next point. Even win a set in a final. So, yeah, just it's disappointing because even though he is young, he's already got the game to be able to win one. And just, just the fact that he hasn't been able to to close one out yet. And, you know, I cast my mind back to the Melbourne Summer Series where he um, came up against Dan Evans in one of those finals. And this is not to, you know, not to disrespect Dan Evans, but that's a match that you would expect Felix at his best to to be able to win. So, look, the fact that he still hasn't been able to win one is uh, is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, well, sticking with a the Canadian theme, Denis Shapovalov is my most frustrating player because this man is an out-and-out star of the world of tennis. He's yeah, when a, he's on, he's... Cool. He is so aesthetically pleasing to watch. And he's cracked the top 10. He's been... He's been there. He's done that. He's made Grand Slam semifinals. He's made the Wimbledon semifinals this year um, and didn't play a bad match against Novak Djokovic. But the fact of the matter is that he still only got one title to his name, and that was in 2019, Joel. And then this year, and he's also made only three other finals, two of them this year, one in Geneva, one in Stockholm, which was the final week of the season, another one in Paris in 2019. But it's... It's worrying, in all honesty. The fact that he can't go and convert. He's supposed to be this prodigy and supposed to be contending for Grand Slams. But the fact is, he hasn't really done much on the regular tour. He's won one event, and that's in an an ATP 250. So, I just don't... I, I don't see how he can be pleased with this season. And especially, like, the Grand Slam results, apart from... Um, apart from Wimbledon, I think they were a bit mediocre. So Denis Shapovalov, my frustrating player of 2021. But Joel, now your prediction for 2022. Um, Felix Auger you seem to win a title. I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. I yeah, hope. I think, I think. Yeah, I think. I think. Yep. It's it's been a disappointing run until this point. I think. I think he'll make a breakthrough this year. Or, pardon me, next year. US Open semi-final, so that's something to, I guess, springboard from. So, yeah, fingers crossed that he can because it would be a great narrative for him. Mine, hmm, this is this is a hard one. I'm going to stick with what I said last year and say Daniel Medvedev to take world number one because I still think that's going to happen next year. I can't see Novak getting another, getting another year under his belt. But... Carlos Alcaraz will win a Masters 1000 title. Oh, wow. I'm going big. I like that one. I'm going big. He will win a Masters title. I don't mind it, Val. He was was sensational. Yep. The way that he plays his tennis is so good to watch. Still very, very raw, very, very young, but he's already won his maiden title in Umag this year. He will win a Masters 1000 next year. Probably going to be very wrong. But I'm going with it. As you said, oh, you you're running know. with it. Yep, you never know. People might fall over. You just don't know. Who would have thought Norrie would win one? Who would have thought Hubert Hercash would win one? You just don't know. Now, 
It is about time. Now, we've got to do our Benoit of the Week and our Benoit of the Year. So these final votes will come into consideration. They won't mean anything because I know the results and we we both know the results. And we know that this week's we're going a double barrel this week, Joel. Now, yeah, I think we I think we have to. We've been off for a few weeks, so we'll yeah, go double barrel. Yeah, I think it's been about a month. We've uh, we've been kind of uh, we've been very busy us too. So working the working uh, the working men. Um, yeah. Now, do you want to do you want to reel these off or do you want me to? We'll go one each. So uh, I'll uh, I'll kick things off. So uh, one of one of the ben- Benoits of the week is going to Gerard Piquet for essentially what has become of of the Davis Cup. Now, obviously, we touched on, on it a bit earlier, but we didn't really sort of talk about the actual vibe of, of the event. And I think you and I were both in consensus, spell in saying that, yeah, and just just the, the very soul of what the Davis Cup was about is just not there anymore. And obviously, our good friend, B, uh, BP, Brett Phillips, summed this up really well in, 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 an, ed, in, an, advertor- in an editorial. I'll get there eventually. There you go. Oh, uh, I'll give myself a bad one as well. Um, on uh, on the first serve earlier in the week, essentially saying, pretty much just saying, it's just not, you know, it's not what it's about. Home and away um, hasn't got that that sort of fan um, engagement, the fan involvement. Um, they call the Davis Cup the, the the World Cup of tennis. Basically, I think I think Gerard Piquet and, and Co have just taken that. I think a little bit too far. The the centralizing of the Davis Cup just just does not work. It works for the World Cup in soccer because it's a quadrennial event. It's every four years. Party atmosphere. It doesn't happen a lot. People want to go and experience it. Um, doing that for the Davis Cup, it just doesn't work. It's not what it's about. Having you know the home and away ties, uh, you know, just people packed in, supporting their country, going going insane. That's that's what we missed. That's what made the event so special, and that's just gone now. Yep, it is. Um, there's no passion. I didn't watch a ball of the Davis Cup. I saw a couple of highlights, but I looked at the scores the next day and looked at some stats, and that's pretty much it. The fact that Serbia and Sweden cannot win their group and go through was probably the more disappointing thing of it. When when it's only when of the six the six groups of three that they had, the winner goes through, and then the the best second places. It just doesn't make any sense. With a World Cup, it's fine that, you know, with the Soccer World Cup, obviously, when the top two go through. That's a format that's been tried and tested. But when only two of the next of the teams go through, that's just all luck. And that's what I would prefer if the ATP Cup did with the four groups. You do the top two from each of the groups go through because then there's more of a chance for teams to get through and go through to a quarterfinal, and then you play them on from there. But, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, uh, look... Absolutely not a fan of um, not a fan of the Davis Cup and what it's become. As you said, if it's in Abu Dhabi for the next five years as well, the finals I haven't confirmed it, but um, it's flogging a dead horse. And honestly, yeah, yeah, might as well just abolish it because there's an identical tournament starting in three weeks that's going to mean more to the players because they get ranking points. Um, It's structured better, and the crowds will be better because Australia is a lot more multicultural. Um, Yep. So. That's all I'll say on that. Now, Benoit of the week. Number two, Serdian, Number three, yeah. Serdian Djokovic. You absolute pillhead. <laughs> Calling the vaccine mandate blackmail. What? Oh, my god! What, 
What was going through his head? Why do people keep interviewing him? It's yeah. like he's a member of a cult and he's trying to brainwash everyone or he is brainwashed. I don't know what's going on, but oh my God. I'd love to know. I just, I would love to know how things that he says find their way into the press because I want to do a, I want to do a psychiatric test on this bloke. Like it is <laughs> like it, it beggars belief. Some of the things that come out of his mouth, but look, we'll move on. The fact that he's done it again doesn't surprise me, but it does at the same time. But the Benoit of the year, Joel, and look, he was oh, he was he was in fine form all season. I think it was seven nominations that we gave him because he was just he just kept going. He was spitting, he was screaming, he was throwing rackets into the stand. He was almost forfeited. He threw his racket over the net. He's the one and only Benoit Pair. It took him two years <laughs> to win the Benoit of the Year award, but. He finally no. got there. He was absolutely on song this year, and he took it off Novak Djokovic. And, look, Djokovic did put up his best fight, and I'm sure if we did a show every week, Novak Djokovic probably would have won it. But Benoit Paire, uh, he was he was on on fire this year, and I wish we had him on the show to talk about and to, to give him his award. But um, Novak Djokovic and Benoit Paire, the two Benoit of the Year champions for 2020 and 2021, and I think it was pretty well-deserved, Joel. Yeah, I think so. Jeez, what a rascal he is. <laughs> he just, he just, oh my gosh. It's just, it never ceases to amaze me. Just whenever he's on court, yeah, he just, he looks like he's on another planet every time he's on court. It's just, he does. It's so it's, funny. He's like a lovable rogue, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what, oh. he, what he is. Um, but yeah, Benoit Pair, there you go. But Joel, it has been a weird, wonderful, crappy, I don't know, bizarre 2021 in the tennis world. Um, hopefully we can see some more normality in 2022 without the pandemic wrecking things. But um, yeah. who knows with, with global governments, you don't know what you're going to get. It's like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're going to find. But um, yeah. it has been another, it has been a pleasure going through the tennis world with you in 2021. And I look forward to doing it all again in 2022. Yeah, it's been good, mate. And uh, thank you as well. It's been uh been a, an interesting year in, in the tennis world. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back again next year, of course. And for the listeners out there, we will try and do some more shows. It's been a, a busy year as well for for us. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we love the sport. So uh, we'll definitely be back and uh, hopefully in greater numbers. A hundred percent we will be back. Don't worry. We are going to be all across it in 2022. It has been a pleasure, Joel, chatting all things tennis with you, as I said, in 2021. A big thank you to all of our guests that jumped on the show. Uh, big thank you to Alan Perez for jumping on tonight. And a big thank you to you, Joel, because uh, without you, this show wouldn't be what it is. And he's just chanting uh, he's chanting by himself there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been a great year of tennis. We don't know what 2022 will bring. Will there be new slam winners? Will we have new world number ones? We don't know. But that's the beauty of the sport. And we'll catch you next year to talk about all of it here on Breakpoint Podcast.